It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In quantum physics, there is a principle called a superposition. It's something that scientists use to describe a particle or something that they don't exactly know where it is. In quantum mechanics, it's a lot of the things that you're trying to observe are too small to see with any tools, any microscope or any way of measuring it. But you can guess, based on math, a few different possible places where that particle is at any given moment. And so instead of trying to guess between those places randomly, you lump them all together as a, a kind of group of possibilities called a superposition. Uh, another way to put this is if you flip a coin, well that coin is in the air and hasn't landed yet, quantum mechanics would say that that coin is in a superposition of both heads and tails. You may have heard of a very famous thought experiment called Schrodinger's cat, where a scientist named Schrodinger thought of putting a cat in a box that had a mechanism in it with a deadly poison, and there was a 50-50 chance of that poison releasing into the box and killing the cat. But before you opened the box, you wouldn't know if the poison has gone off yet, and according to the thought experiment of Schrodinger's cat, that cat is both dead and alive at the same time. Until you open the box, the act of opening it is what puts the cat in the state of dead or alive. Observing it causes the outcome. Now, why in the world did I start a football podcast with Schrodinger's cat and deadly poisons in quantum physics? Well, because we are in the moments right before anything of substance in the season starts. Training camp hasn't started, position battles haven't been decided, and not a contest has been played. So in a sense, you could argue that everybody on the Vikings and everybody in the NFL is in some sort of superposition. I've always argued that players before a season are a range of outcomes. Every player represents a range of possible things. Everybody could be as good as they possibly can be, or things can go poorly, and, and there is a limit to how bad they can go. And defining players in that superposition can help us parse out what predictions we, we want to make and the guesses we want to make toward what's going to happen in the 2019 season. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the last episode of this week of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off, I guess, in science class this time. But don't worry, we are going to get mathematical today. My name is Luke Braun. I'm on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is available on any podcast app that you prefer, wherever you like to find your favorite shows. And if you don't like podcast apps or, or clunkily scrolling through lists, you can always ask your smart device like Alexa or Siri to play podcasts. Locked on Vikings. Now, before we continue with the main topic of the episode, which is randomness and probability, and more on that later, I do have a couple of little news tidbits to talk about. Uh, on Tuesday, we talked about the supplemental draft. I erroneously said in that episode uh, that the the supplemental draft would be today, Thursday. It in fact was yesterday, Wednesday. So my apologies for that. Uh, but you didn't miss anything. The Vikings didn't pick anybody up in that. Only one player was drafted. Uh, I was also wrong in positing that there would be two players drafted. I had seen somebody uh, whose opinions I usually uh, like to buy into that was like, yeah, I could see both these guys getting drafted. And he turned out to be wrong about that. 
but I still buy into his opinion that there were two draftable players in the supplemental draft, and uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars got Marcus Sims afterwards in uh, undrafted free agency for free, and I actually think that's a good steal for them, and he has a great chance to make their roster. The other guy was Jalen Thompson, who I kind of didn't think the Vikings would be that interested in. The Cardinals got him in the fifth round, and there were a couple of other notable names that maybe could have been considered in the supplemental draft. None of them were drafted. They all ended up signing with other teams, but for now, the 90-man Vikings roster stays the same, and I don't have to do any updating on the 90-man series. Please go check some of that out if you have players you want to learn about. A lot of stories in there worth telling. There was also something going on on Twitter on Wednesday that I do want to uh, quick shout out and address just because it's kind of cool and I actually learned a lot on Twitter on Wednesday. Um, Dan Orlovsky, uh, formerly of the Lions career backup quarterback, he was uh, doing some film study for his NFL Network gig and he was talking about Kirk Cousins and uh, he went over every third and six plus pass, there are 34 of them in the 2018 season, and came away with the conclusion, I don't blame Kirk Cousins for a single one of these. Uh, and he essentially said that Kirk Cousins did everything right and uh, that, you know, we have to look past Kirk Cousins and look at what happened with his supporting cast and the scheme and all that stuff and to really understand his uh, performance. And he was doing a little bit of film study and some explanations and stuff, and a lot of people jumped in. Uh, Kurt Warner, most notably, jumped in and essentially disagreed with Dan Orlovsky. And they had a really interesting back and forth about it, which uh, I'll link in the show notes because it's cool to watch two former players talk about this kind of thing and, you know, disagree like any two schmucks on Twitter would and and, uh, kind of represent both sides of that argument. But essentially, I just wanted to lay out the argument for you in case uh, you don't want to go navigate through Twitter or you missed it or whatever. Essentially, the argument that Dan Orlovsky was making is this. Kirk Cousins did exactly what the play call asked of him on just about every play. If the play said, all right, you know, read the corner route and the corner route isn't there, go underneath. And Kirk Cousins would do that and execute it well and throw an accurate ball pretty much all of the time. I actually went through and watched all of those plays for myself on Game Pass and uh, I only found one that I would call inaccurate and it was a sidearm sling on the run that you can't even really blame him for. Um, And most of those decisions, based on how those progressions typically go, were what the play asked of him. And Orlovsky's point is, so therefore you can't really blame him. He was just doing what the play call said. You need better play calls and you need better execution elsewhere on the offense. And uh, Kurt Warner's counter to that was, if the play call itself isn't going to work, you have to take it upon yourself to do something. And that something, more often than not, or at least the kind of main crux of Kurt Warner's point, was go to the number two read more quickly or be more willing to move off of your first read. A lot of those incompletions, he posited, were caused by Kirk Cousins throwing balls he shouldn't have thrown. And yes, they were the primary read on the play, but that wasn't there in in Kurt, Kurt Warner's opinion. He should have gone to the second read that was maybe there or go down to, to something else. And so it was a really interesting back and forth. And uh, then a lot of really, really smart people on film Twitter kind of chimed in and they started posting their own film stuff. It was a really cool day if you follow a lot of the like film breakdown accounts. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed just like learning more about uh, quarterback progressions. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people smarter than me said some really smart stuff. And I kind of feel like I leveled up, which is really cool. So moving on to the main point, which I'm going to preface really quick and then go to an ad break. Uh, I have talked a lot about probability theory on this podcast. I actually think I did a whole other episode on like probability and math and stuff, but I never, I don't think I've done so far a very good job of relating it to football. You know, I've kind of like used it as a flimsy excuse to talk about math, which is something I'm a huge nerd about and think is really cool if you explain it right. And I 
didn't really do a good job of, of, of keeping it in a, in a sports context. So that's what I'm going to kind of try to do today is I want to define the idea of randomness in football because there's some things that I think bother me about traditional like analytic or a traditional analytics. You know, a, a lot of the things that we a lot of the studies and the cool data and stuff, which I believe in and I really like following and, and, and looking at. But there are some things in it that I have difficulty reconciling, and I kind of want to explain that. So I'm going to step away to an ad break, and when I come back, I'll try to make a little bit more sense of what I just talked about. I'll see you all in a second. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Welcome back. So let me uh, explain the thing that I just finished that last segment with. Uh, I wanted to talk about R squared. Now, R squared is the uh, it, it's something that you use when you're doing like a correlational study. You know, if you look at uh, a quarterback's passer rating and and a team's winning percentage. And how well do they correlate? So what you can do is you can kind of log it on a graph. What was their passer rating and how many you know, games did they win that year? And, and what's the correlation between those two? We'll put it on a plot and see what the data looks like. And you can usually draw a line of best fit, and there's lots of calculators that can do that for you. And what R squared is is a number that essentially calculates how far away all the points are from your line of best fit. A better way of describing R squared is how much of the variance in the data set can be explained by this. Uh, to use a different sports example, how much of the variance in a golfer's game can be explained by wind? You can look at how many miles per hour the wind was going and, and how well golfers shot, depending on if it was windy or not or how windy it was, and you can say, all right, you know, 30% of a golfer's game can be explained away by how windy it was that day, or whatever. I'm kind of going to make up numbers a lot today. Uh, and, and that's generally the idea of R-squared. And in football, R-squareds are really, really low. We see an R-squared of, of 25%, 0.25, and we actually see that as, as a, that is a really good and informative stat. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. This is not going to be me going like, analytics, look how dumb they are. This is me looking philosophically at the idea that we are proud of a football metric that can explain 25% of a player's performance. And just think about for a think about that for a second. You know, if, if it explains away a quarter of how good that player is, then we think that it's you know so valuable that it is in a sense indisputable. You know, and, and things that have a you know a 0.25 R squared are things that you would expect to have a 0.25 R squared. Who your quarterback is has I think something like 0.3 R squared. 
we all understand that who your quarterback is has uh, the biggest impact on how much you win games than any other player. I mean, it, it is one of the most important thing is who is your quarterback. And even that only explains away 30% of a football game. And really, no matter what you look at, no matter what combination of things, you'll never get that number to 100%. You'll never be able to put together a puzzle that explains 100% of every football game. The game just doesn't work that way. And if it were possible, it would have been done already. And so I want to talk a little bit about the principles of randomness in football. And, and when we talk about lucky and unlucky, which is something that undoubtedly, as the season wears on, I'm going to be talking about, you know, oh, they got lucky, they got unlucky, this is fair, this is unfair, this is random, this wasn't his fault. And, and I, I kind of want to lay down that foundation when I'm talking about randomness and, and how much randomness impacts a game and how much, you know, happens in, in a football game where it doesn't matter how good your players played, it doesn't matter how good your play call was, sometimes stuff just happens. And this isn't going to be me listing stuff like, you know, fumble luck and and whether or not it was windy out. And, you know, there are, of course, things that, that are out of anyone's control. But this is going to be about how things in football are random beyond fluky luck-based stuff that we all kind of understand about luck, you know, like tipped balls and stuff like that. This is going to be about the variant nature of football and how we'll never quite define it. So all we can do is put together models that have a pretty good shot. Much like particles in quantum mechanics, we can really narrow it down to a range of likely outcomes and then start to figure out what we can figure out from there. So when talking about any specific player, one of the things that I, I like to do, and, and I alluded to this when I was talking about stats and when I talk about you know how to evaluate for tape and how, any, everything I talked about with the draft, what I like to do is figure out, okay, how much of what happened on this player in this game or during this season was out of the player's control? And there's a lot that happens on a given play that's out of a player's control. If you're trying to isolate for a single player, or heck, even a, a, a whole team, there's a lot that's out of that control. The quarterback cannot control if the corner is in good coverage or not. You can look off a of safety, you can do a thing here or there, but you can't control whether or not the wide receiver's route was good enough to get separation. You can't really control whether or not the right tackle remembered his snap count and got off the ball in time, or whether or not the edge rusher was able to guess it. There's a little bit of gamesmanship and you can, you know, try to hide your tendencies as best as possible, but ultimately there's a lot going on during the course of the play that any single player doesn't control. And generally, we understand this, right? We have stats that adjust for strength of opponent. We have, you know, kicker stats would adjust for indoor or outdoor kicking, something that, you know, the team doesn't have any say over. But there's one thing, one element of randomness that I think has a huge impact on, on the outcome of games. It's something I actually talked about earlier in the week with Mackenzie Alexander that I don't think we pay enough attention to, and I really wanted to dedicate time to talking about it. And that is, we can't control whether or not we had our best play at the right time. Now, I'm sure that, you know, you're going to say, what, do you think just like clutch players aren't clutch? And of course, there is some element of, you know, rising to the big occasion and, you know, being uh, cool under pressure in the big moment under the big lights and all that. Sure, I, I concede all of that. But because there are so many moving parts during a given football play, there's a lot that can happen that nullifies whether or not you were good. What if a wide receiver runs his best route of the whole game and the quarterback botches the throw? The receiver couldn't have done anything about that. He got open, but the QB overthrew it. What if a cornerback locks down a receiver for the only time all day, you know, say you've got a, a, a rookie Holton Hill up against Julio Jones and you locked him down, but the other guy got wide open and there was a missed tackle and it turned into a touchdown. You had your best play on a defensive touchdown allowed. 
you didn't plan that, right? You aren't going to go into this play going, well, this is going to be a touchdown. I might as well, you know, get my bad play out of the way now. You don't have any control over what order things happen in. It is purely a, a, a circumstance, a product of randomness. And so no matter how well you play, there's always going to be an element of other stuff happened around you and it made your level of play not matter. This is why when you look at all the players in any given game, there's probably somebody that had a pretty good game on the losing team. And even further, there have been times when a player will have the game of their life in a losing effort. The first example that comes to my mind is Anthony Harris in Chicago last year. He had one of the best games, I think, of his career, maybe the best game of his career. The team lost. And so whenever we're evaluating players or just trying to decode what happened or will happen in a football game, we have to remember that there's a lot of moving parts that are independent of one another and a lot of moving parts that are dependent of one another, right? If you are the right guard, you do have a little bit of control over how good the pass is, right? If you let up pressure, you make the pass worse. And so it's simply something to keep in mind. Did something else affect what happened on this play? And after we've accounted for that, were they still good or still bad like we thought? I have a lot more thoughts on this, and I'll get to them in just a second. But first, I need to talk about the sponsor of this episode, BlueChew.com. Fellas, it is important to take intimacy seriously when you're in a relationship. Your partner deserves it, and you deserve to feel good about yourself and give him your best. So whether you are a man of a certain age who is maybe past his prime and your body can't keep up anymore, or somebody who just wants to in increase his performance in the bedroom, go check out Blue Chew. It is the first chewable tablet of its kind. It's got the same ingredients, active ingredients, FDA approved as Viagra and Cialis, so you know kind of what you're getting into. But unlike those, it is a chewable, which means that it works twice as fast and you don't have to spend as much time waiting for a pill to kick in when the moment's right. It comes in a very discreet package, so there's no awkwardness, and it's not from a pharmacy, so it's actually cheaper. You kind of cut out a lot of middlemen. So go do yourself and, a, and your partner a favor. Go check out bluechew.com slash lock. That's blue like the color blue, chew like chewing a chewable tablet, uh, dot com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E, like the old Vikings punter. Go check it out. You deserve it. Okay, moving on. So I probably haven't said anything over the course of this entire podcast that you didn't already know. Of course, football is random. That's why it's fun. That's why we gamble on it. And Vegas is profitable. That's why we play fantasy football, because it's random in any given Sunday, and we don't ever know what's really going to happen. So here's what I want to start thinking about is what do we do about it? How do we parse out and predict a sport that's so random? I mean, we're always tasked with predicting it, right? You know, we, we bet, we, uh, we will do season predictions, we'll, we'll call out things on Twitter, and then go back later and see if we were right or wrong. This is kind of the whole game. So how can we figure that out, though, when football's so random? And I just talked about how unpredictable it is and how there's so much that's out of a player's control and how, how often it doesn't matter if somebody was good or not. How do we parse all this? And, and that's kind of what I want to get to, to the crux of. And this brings me back to how I started this episode and the idea of a superposition. This is kind of the definition, the thought process behind why I always talk about players as a range of outcomes. Even when I was talking about the draft and when I talked about, you know, the players we drafted or could have drafted. And in the 90-man series, I would always make a point to end each segment with, you know, hey, if things go well in the preseason, he goes here. And if things go poorly in the preseason, he gets cut or whatever. Because everybody is 
a range of outcomes. So next week, uh, spoiler, a, a little tease, uh, next week we're going to do a lot of roster stuff. I'm going to talk about my roster tiers and roster predictions. We're going to end, end the week with a 53-man roster that I'm actually going to kind of show my work in real time. So I actually haven't done any of those those 53-man decisions yet, and I'm going to do them kind of live on the show so that you can see exactly how I came to whatever process I came to, and, and then we can kind of talk about it from there. And how we're going to start that is with the roster tier system, which I explained in a previous show. I believe it was uh, the show titled uh, a, a full 90-man roster or something like that. Um, I'll explain it again on, on Monday as a refresher, uh, but basically the idea is to take all of the players on the roster and kind of divide them up into where they stand in pole position, and with that kind of comes a range of outcomes. For example, I have the competition tier, which is players that don't have a starting role but aren't necessarily guaranteed to be a backup either. Uh, you know, players like Ben Gideon and Eric Wilson. If one of those two people, you know, vastly outperforms the other, then the guy who loses that battle is probably relegated to the bench and special teams duty. But, you know, the, the other way around is true as well. Everybody, each of those players is equally as susceptible, depending on how the preseason goes, to getting relegated or getting a full-on, you know, starting gig or rotational gig, as it were. If you look at, say, Ben Gideon as a player that player, depending on how the preseason goes, has a range of outcomes. And as we stand right now, he's in a super position. So I'm going to start, and don't worry, I'm not going to be a total weenie about this. I'll make some calls and make some predictions and we'll, you know, put put some something on the line here. But as we start out, it is useful to define all these players as in a super position between, you know, backup and cut or between, you know, special teamer and starter. If you look at somebody like, I don't know, Brandon Zilstra could go anywhere from, you know, he's in a super position between starting wide receiver three and cut from the team and never in the NFL again. And it all depends on what happens in the preseason. Now that, of course, is a weenie way to go about it, right? You can say, oh, well, he could be a number of things. Aha, look at how right I am when one of those many number of things happen. And that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to kind of give you a launching point from which to then you know, stake your claim. Another way to put it is that before I decide where a player will fall on that range of outcomes, I need to define what the range is. If I'm about to predict that a player is going to make the practice squad, that might be a good thing or it might be a slight on them. And my roster tier idea is going to be kind of my way of doing that. But I'll explain it more in uh, in Monday's episode when we start doing all this roster stuff. For now, I want to still focus on the more abstract idea of randomness in football. Now, we as fans and, you know, media as, like, analysts and people trying to predict it and gamblers and whatever, we're not the only people that have to contend with randomness in football. Teams themselves have to do it, too. So it's good for us to kind of go through those same exercises. I always think that it's it's a good idea to try and simulate what teams go through and, and the thought process that the, they have to have as much as you possibly can. So if I were a football coach or a football GM, how would I contend with randomness? Well, th there's a lot of things, and I usually will wait until it's timely to talk about them. For example, you know, I talked about how I like late-round picks in the draft and, you know, trading down to stockpile them, both because I kind of think that draft position is overrated, and usually if your evaluations are good, you'll be able to get somebody really no matter where you are, but also because I think that the lottery tickets that the late round picks are, those, you know, very, very low probability events, but also low cost events, are good to stockpile. 
It's hard to make one half-court shot, but it's not nearly as hard if you have 10 tries at it. And that's one way to contend with randomness, is to basically up your volume of attempts. This is the idea of like an Air Coriel offense, or, or you know, a very deep passing, deep shot kind of offense, you know, the 2012 Flacco thing. Just keep heaving it downfield, and you only really need one to stick for all of the attempts to be worth it. This is also the idea behind, like, early 2010's Adrian Peterson. Just keep taking cracks at it. I know every play is minus two, minus two, minus two, but eventually he's going to bust one off for 80 yards. The idea of taking extra crack, I mean, this is just like basic probability theory, right? Take an unlikely event and add more attempts at it, and if you only need one to succeed for it to all be worth it, then that probability will compound very, very quickly. And if you do the actual math on it, you know, one 20% event suddenly becomes an 80% event if you try it, you know, a bunch of times. Another way to combat the idea of randomness in football is to find the most consistent things. Yeah, a lot of stuff's random, but why don't we try to get rid of that randomness by doing the safest stuff we possibly can? This is the idea behind a West Coast offense. The idea of, yeah, all right, it's pretty random whether or not, you know, over the course of an entire post route, whether or not that guy's going to get open, and we introduce a bunch of random points when it comes to, you know, what are the probabilities that, that my offensive lineman gives up a pressure? How likely is he to give up a pressure? And how likely is, is he to give up a pressure on a play when nobody else gave up a pressure and therefore ruin a whole new play? And if we reduce the time it takes to throw the pass by throwing it short, we can reduce the likelihood of a pressure being given up and therefore increase the chances that we get what we set out to get. And if we do that over and over and over again, you know, get six yards, six yards, six yards, we'll dink and dunk our way all the way down the field and suddenly you've invented Bill Walsh. I think there's a balance to be struck. The riskier your move is, or the lower probability it is at least, the more times you have to attempt it before the, the odds get high enough to be worth it. That's why I like a lot of low round picks. It's why I actually really care about the guys on the deep roster, because I think eventually, if I cover everybody, I have a pretty good chance of having covered the guy that ends up being a fan favorite, you know, the Chad Beebe, the, the Adam Thielens of old. And I'm also just like genuinely compelled emotionally by their stories, but that's a separate point. So next week when we start doing the, the roster, stuff and really start previewing the season. We'll start with respect toward this probability theory, the idea that, yeah, it's random and I can make all the predictions I want, but I also want to show respect to the fact that I'm not going to predict everything correctly and I want to define the range of outcomes before I plant my flag on that spectrum somewhere. And so that's going to kind of be how next week works. I am going to sign off for this week of Locked on Vikings for now, and then we're going to come back and do a bunch of roster stuff, and I'm very excited to share all of that with you, all of that thought process. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for me for this week. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. I know it was kind of a weird week. I did some hot take stuff. I did some philosophy stuff. I did a whole bunch of weird things. I talked about the supplemental draft, which I guess uh, is something that doesn't get a lot of attention. So thank you guys so much for hanging out and bearing with me for a, a pretty weird week coming off of the 90-man roster. I had just kind of like pigeonholed myself creatively for so long by like saying I have to do, you know, three more players every single episode. I have to, I have to, I have to. I kind of wanted to come out and just have a free week to do like whatever I wanted and not really uh, abide by any structure. So thank you guys so much for indulging me on my strange creative urges. Uh, I am going to be back on Monday, and we will continue to talk about the roster then. In the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find this show anywhere you like to find your favorite podcasts. And if you don't like to find your favorite podcasts with analog tools, you can always ask your smart device voice-controlled to play your podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. Works with any podcast, actually.
but I digress. Thank you guys so much for listening and hanging out, and as always, Skull. Hey, sports fans. My name's Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.